Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the most fascinating and really the most helpful advisors in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And the word today is laughter, L-A-U-G-H-T-E-R, a good while back. We did a show that was a collection of my business quips, those funny little humor pokes at business, along with some hopefully wise afterthoughts to set your mind pondering. Well, everyone keeps asking, when could you do another quips collection show? So this very day, the answer is yes, we can. Wisdom is winging your way on the feathers of laughter. And just as a pre-note, my friend, laughter Humor in the world, and particularly the world of business, has come into painfully short supply. Truly, other than one major comic strip and my own humble Bart Spokes business quips, the wellspring of business humor, the little workplace wisecracking, for goodness sakes, seems to have dried up. And this really is a terrible, terrible plight. I mean, you heard about the attorney who had no sense of humor, didn't you? He lost his appeal. Oh, I'm sorry, as Cecil Rhodes said, they can't all be gems. But at any rate, business used to be fun. You know, the stock market trading floor historically was legendary for its prank-laden hazing rituals. And what's all happened? Well, hmm, let's see. In 1970, American business got competitive. Global pressures made us all buckle down. And then in the 80s, we got greedy, you know, with yuppies fast-tracking longingly into business and corporations. So in the 90s, we got very rich. And then with the new millennium, as it dawned, we sort of took all this success and we made business holy. The office became sacrosanct. No romance, no intimacy. That would be blasphemous. No jesting. Business is a sacred institution. It's the one I've been punching my resume towards since kindergarten, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my friend, bull feathers. Let me give you one quip and answer. If you get serious, I mean really serious, about your work and everything else you do, well, you probably won't like yourself any more than anyone else will. So let's lemon up our lives. I was going to tell you one other thing about the profit and value of humor, but let's save it. I, I, I hear the quips calling, so let's plunge right in. And uh, so even if you are uh, the CEO of the Dynamic Play Network seeking to tear youngsters' texting thumbs away from their phones like Mark, or you are the queen of laughter, a consultant very much in demand who brings boisterous benefit to corporate workers nationwide like Sherry, pull up your chair a little closer and join us in this feast of wisdom all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your adventures flourish. So let us kick in with homage right to the name of the show and start from the top down and bring chief executive officers onto the roasting spit. I think no one needs to be taken down a peg as much as those top salaried leaders uh, who are steering, or at least so they think, our corporate course. So our first CEO quip is, a corporation is a group of men and women assembled to support the words and rectify the actions of the CEO. And... Just as an afterthought, you know, I I invite you to list those lofty ideas that you gave in your last speech. How do they compare with your personal performance this month? And as a hint, it's probably more profitable to touch up your actions and water down your ideals. 
just a thought. And moving on into quips. Oh, I, I love this one. Uh, our CEO states he believes in surrounding himself with people smarter than he is. Alas, in his case, it's impossible to do otherwise. <laughs> I grant you, intelligence is a handy asset, but just for for me, send me that diligent worker who really wants to prove herself in her company, and that's the one I'll hire. I owe it to my shareholders to hire her. And while we've got CEOs right in front of us, uh, you've probably all been to the annual report readings. Oh, they do go on. And I heard a voice in the back of the room. I love this. He said, one fellow who just came late said, is the CEO finished yet? To which came the reply, oh Lord, he was finished an hour ago. He just won't stop. (laughs) And uh, to this I might add my my personal belief that I think death by PowerPoint should be a capital offense. Please do not read your slides if you are a CEO. (laughs) People can read them themselves. Anyway, moving on. Workers and CEOs uh, operate on kind of the same scale, but, but think of this quip. Workers receive bonuses when they make a major contribution to the company. CEOs' major bonuses seem to be given as a severance parachute when they leave, presumably for the same reason. <laughs> and just as an afterthought, you know, all of us are innately builders. We fulfill ourselves and our souls by really creating. That's why people smile far wider after they've given greatly of themselves than when they've merely trousered and pocketed a large reward. And that is your is your revenge. And as a, moving on, uh, uh, putting CEOs a little bit more in their place, uh, they have to deal with boards, and this is no mean trick. The boards of directors are not an easy group. So as a matter of fact, I've always felt I like this one. Our board is an, is exquisitely efficient. They are all ready to render their decisions long before their staff presents any of their reports. <laughs> oh, slightly biased. And as an afterthought, this little poem, the guts a fine and lovely place, but often ears must be embraced. Instinctive choices may win the race, but lag against those which are fact-based. <laughs> So think about it. And in addition, in addition, this our poor CEOs, they do have to then deal equally with their C-suites, you know, the marvelous chief executive of something, something, blah, blah. and so I. This reminds me of a fight of a, a fight that I saw coming together. The chief of marketing wants our product sold for a dime. The CFO. Wants it sold, wants a profit of a dollar, and the CEO wants it done yesterday. What our firm needs is a chief reality officer. <laughs> Tis too true. I don't think uh, any of us quite have the. We have our wishes uh, for the for the picture of what needs to be done too oft, too oft. And there's another one. Now we we do have all of these chief executive officers coming in, and I've like so I like this quip. Everyone in our company has floated up to sea level. With all this high chief oversight, we've got absolutely no one left to do the work or be overseen. And uh, if you don't believe it, we counted 46 common chief officer titles in use. And 
uh, we have chief uh, innovation officer, chief creative officer. By the way, naming a man chief creative officer does not make him so. Ability is no respecter of high rank, alas. So that's something you could take home. But well, amongst all these marvelous corporate knighthoods, I, w- I wonder, I know they make the honorees chess well. I wonder if it makes them work a little better. What do you think? And another job of the CEO, of course, is the idea of creating, steering the company, creating the vision. And I like this one. Vision is a path which your staff deems impossible, your attorney deems illegal, your board feels is unwise, and your chief financial officer seeks to obscure under a blanket of numbers. (laughs) And I must say, as an afterthought, actually, if your vision doesn't scare the folks on your team just a little, well, you're probably underreaching. The best visions frighten even their authors a bit. So whether you're the leader of a corporation or you're just CEO of yourself, the risky goal is part of the fun of it. Catch the excitement, I beg of you. And finally, we are going to remember that the CEO has many, many jobs, but uh, it's all sort of a dance and a cycle as to who has the actual control. And that's why I've worked on this quiz, this quip. CEOs grudgingly yield to the board. The board cringes before customers and investors, each of whom slavishly follow the media's suasions. And the media takes its information from, guess who? The CEOs. (laughs) And the benefit of this Delbertian cycle is what allows company leaders to literally talk their firms into success. Just so long as you can keep convincing all the parties involved of their vital importance to your company's progress, you know they just may make it all come true. And if you have joined us, you are listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time streams magically through the confusing enigma of cyberspace where you may listen and download this and all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. We are on live radio and a whole host of internet streams, but the easiest way to find this show and all the other episodes is by visiting theartoftheceo.com. Now, just to show you that turnabout is fair play and that CEOs are not the only ones filled with joyously guffawable foibles, let's cast our scathing eye out on, yes, you, the employees out there. You know who you are. And I think that each one comes to his job with this sort of quip feeling in mind. Each employee in this firm is a treasured asset, until, of course, we can find a replacement for her at a lower salary. You know, uh, in thinking about that, it's funny how all those owners who place their employees strictly on the liability side of the ledger seem to always be surprised at their lack of loyalty. (laughs) How come that could be? But then, of course, the employees are not uh, exactly stalwart in every direction. This is this is one of my favorite employee complaints. The only thing smaller than my cubicle is the apartment I can afford on my salary. And as an afterthought, you do know that most of us start small. As they say, even the giant oak was once a nut like you. So try to take heart in the knowledge that mighty ideas are not hemmed in by physical space. Your imagination can loom far beyond 
your uh, cubicles or or even your corporate doors. And while we are about taking measure of ourselves as employees and what we deserve, I've always liked this one. To measure the true value of a man to his company, which you, you cut in half his own estimation of his contribution, and then you double the contribution estimated by those he supervises and those who supervise him. <laughs> as an afterthought, you, you think about this. We all tend to cherry-pick our finest achievements and then hold them up as the absolute norm of our workday. Meanwhile, as for the assessment of those who labor under us, well, suffice it to say that no man is a hero to his valet. And just to keep us from getting a little too pompous, I, I proffer this quip. If you truly believe you are an entirely self-made man, well, then you have doubtless botched your creation. <laughs> all of us, if you think about it, my friend, all of us have stood on the shoulders of giants to reach whatever we achieve. And most of us get there by, well, getting a lot more than we deserve, quite frankly. The wise are aware of both these facts. So why not enter each situation believing that you're entitled to nothing. You'll be much happier, and actually you'll be much more correct. And I think well, that also can translate into our world of work, perhaps with this quip. Most folks will willingly work 10% harder for double the salary, but ask them to double their workload, and they want to be crowned king. <laughs> and uh, as an afterthought, the truth is, if you're more worried about how hard you're working than about how best to complete your current projects, you're probably not going to rise much of anywhere, my friend. Value is based more on achievement than labor. And that took me a long time to learn, <laughs> just on a personal note. Uh, but then there is all of us coming together to think about how much, uh, where our work's going to get us. And, and I find it Americans have a particular view it's all their own. American business people believe that if you invent more, network more, labor longer hours, you may someday be supervising your boss. Is that the lore of hope or revenge? <laughs> and as a little sort of statistical afterthought, the U.S. Department of Labor states that the average American worker of, of all levels uh, labors 2,200 hours per year. Now, that compares favorably with the 1,600 and the 18 to 1,800 hours throughout Europe and the 2,000 in, yes, Japan. We labor more. It apparently, the dish of career mobility served hot or cold is apparently a very desired delicacy, and America seems to have it in spades. So, uh, and finally, we're coming to, to one. I think that we have, well, we've all been searching for jobs. We've all been there. And so you come up as a job candidate. And so allow me to set before you this little truism quip. Of a job candidate, the CEO asks, how well can he perform? The, the CFO asks, can he do it cheaply? His coworkers ask, is he a nice guy? Ah, but HR, they ask, are his shoes shined? <laughs> you know, one uh, national renowned marketer that I, I've 
personally know of, was red flagged when pre-screening software disallowed the term on his resume of digital because it was programmed for online. I think it is bloody time to smash the machines and all those ancient Procrustean molds when interviewing people and get back to looking at real people. Just my opinion, I pass it on. And now enough of pricking wage slaves at both top and bottom. We come to my most favorite part, and that is I am going to send out to you, proffer to you, a few of my favorite business quips. And uh, if I'm unable to restrain myself and my own verbosity, I may even give you the story of how they came leeching into my fertile swamp-like mind. But I, So here, here are a few of my favorites. Take them for what they're worth. Number one, if you have nothing to say, either say nothing or hire yourself out as a keynote speaker. <laughs> and uh, a little barb there. But as an afterthought, you know, in the realm of business, the main reason you speak is not to say something. It's not even to be listened to. The prime goal is to elicit a desired action from the folks you address. So to prevent your words from being mere audio wallpaper, why not consider the audience and what words and ideas would most likely move them to act? Then open your mouth. And another of my favorites does lambaste. I, I hate to do it. Attorneys, yes, they're, they're always in for it. But this one I, I, I just love. A contract is a gauntlet hurled down between two lawyers, challenging each to see which one can walk away with a larger percentage of their client's money. <laughs> and it is sad but so. But, you know, you you do have a defense of learning how to read and perhaps even reading your own contracts. But that's another thought for another day. And since we're on the business of deals, I've always been fond of this one. A merger is a deal involving two parties who feel cheated and two parties who swear they've made out like bandits, making it all two. <laughs> and if you don't believe that one, listen to the uh, the that fellow at your, the next networking group that you go to tell you about the deal that he made. I guarantee it'll sound just like that. Now, uh, and while we're on the subject of mergers, this one I came to me. I had to do a an article on reverse mergers. Now, for those of you who don't know what a reverse merger is, it is, in a very basic sense, it's a very powerful. It's when a very powerful company that wants to get onto a stock exchange will merge with one that is already on an exchange and usually on its last legs, and so he can can get on the exchange and get some funding. But I, I tried to explain it, and so I, tr I came up with this one. and see what you think. Reverse mergers are a bit like the elephant who allows himself to be swallowed by a snake so that he may more easily slither into greener pastures. <laughs> if you don't understand that, take it to your friendly CPA, and he will howl at it, I guarantee you. And while we're on the subject of finance, let me go here. Uh, a financial planner is an individual who has not been able to make himself rich, but who s sincerely believes that with your money, he can make you both rich. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the cobbler with, with uh, no shoes. Anyway, as an afterthought, why not select your advisors by their own track record and, and success? And let your personal uh, savings and those dollars that you want to last long in your heartbeat, take good care of them. Let them be 
handled by a reference professional who's both trustworthy and provably seasoned with past profits. And one more before we go off. Uh, this is one I just I came up with this one when I was literally out in my own fruit arbor, and I this this we uh, land based marketing a bit here. Marketing is the art of pinning pears on an apple tree and selling them as exotic. And every marketer can appreciate that. But enough of this delightful yucking over today's oatmeal of wisdom <laughs> or, or whatever the mash is. I truly believe it's time to take a brief survey and return you to your sanity. So uh, let me start off with my, the first utensil, as I always do. Allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of chief executive officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, please allow me to ask, will this be the day that you mentally run through your daily routine and pluck out just one little practice that's either inefficient or not serving you well? Or will you continue to carry the same old baggage in the same old way and let inertia rule? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And moving on to the left-handed utensil, we sumptuously spoon to you, I guess that should be the right-handed utensil. Yes, it is, right-handed utensil. Uh, we sumptuously spoon to you now the answer to last week's business quotation. That is, the name of the individual who said, first, get your facts straight, then distort them as you please. Uh and those words were spoken by none other than the Barb Sharp humorist and riverboat pilot, Mr. Mark Twain's Samuel Clemens to all you Connecticut Yankees out there. So stick with us, because later on in the show, Blurting Your Way, comes another enriching quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be, and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com. And if you are correct, your knowledge will earn you mind and soul and career an igniting gift freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. <laughs> and before we return to the frivolous jocularity of our quips collection, allow me to introduce to you the company by whose good graces we are here today. And that company, Prometheus Publishing, our select sponsor of all this lunacy, would like to invite you to look at two little volumes which have brought Locke raucous laughter and perhaps a grain of wisdom to thousands. They are the 101 Best Business Quips book and the amazingly cleverly titled sequel, 102 Best Business Quips. Oh, well. Uh, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with the term, a quip is a joke, son, something to laugh at. And since the mighty playwright Aristophanes came on the scene, wise folks have known that the greatest laughter, I'm sorry, the greatest wisdom comes wrapped in a little laughter. So the 102 and the 101 best business quips give you a bit of a lighthearted jest, uh, such as, the only difference between piracy and taxation is the size of the army that collects it. And we follow that up with a bit of an afterthought to ponder. Now, I know that many of you have enjoyed uh, these books, and you've chuckled sagely also at the weekly quips that we give on the show. And you've asked, uh, from what swamp is Bart dredging up all this hyperbole and laugh hash? And the answer to what uh, is not at all a burning question, I'm sure, in your mind, 
as to where these quips come from, in truth, about 98% of them come from my own fertile and fatuous brain. And this is what I love doing most, making up these quips. They force me to gain a great perspective and add a little humor to our world as my gift to you. So if you're smirking any of these quips and you want to uh, keep up with the latest ones because they seem to flow forth like toothpaste back into the tube, uh, don't forget to visit BartsBooks.com and subscribe to our quips every week. And then uh, you will get them weekly winging your way through the eternal enigma of email, all absolutely free, uh, a new quip and something to, to laugh at and a little pondering of an afterthought. Uh, as I say, they are free, or as my wife says, exactly the right price for what they are worth. <laughs> Wonderful woman. Anyway, with these utensils in hand, let us return to the, joc- the rollicking jocularity and continue with our quips collection, learning just what's so funny about the world of business. Now, uh, when we last finished picking on particular trades, I was aiming my barbed half-wit in the directions and giving you some of my favorites, so let me continue on with a few more of my favorites, and we will trudge along. Uh, so here, oh, this is, this, is, this is what I've used probably too often, but I do love it. So it is, when our board of directors calls a roll, half these uh, half these members don't know whether to answer with present or not guilty. <laughs> and I must say that misdeeds are getting tougher to hide for corporate leaders. So as an afterthought, perhaps the best solution is to follow the maxim that an easiest buck to make is an honest one. Just my belief. And another favorite, the trouble with my compensation is that my board insists on paying me only what I'm worth, and no one can live on that. <laughs> And uh, d- despite my own personal foibles and and failings, if your if your pay really doesn't match your performance, you uh, you have a right to complain. But if it doesn't match what others of your position are getting, stop griping for heaven's sakes and figure out how to outperform them. Come on, get real here. <laughs> and uh, one, uh, we'll give you one more of my favorites, and then and then we'll we'll move on to another. Uh, Poor career to be to be lambasted and roasted. So my uh, the final one of my favorites that I'll give you today is, I told my wife that I needed a vehicle that reflected the prestige and forward drive of my career. So for Christmas she got me a treadmill. <laughs> yeah, this one I gave. I was in a huge emporium. We were, we were this was the opening of the Art of the CEO, the book, the book launching, and it was in this huge emporium that sold Lamborghinis, Ferraris, Bentleys, Rolls, all these fabulous cars. And that was where I I had to get their attention, and that's why I stood up and said this one. And it did seem to work, because they all listened to me. And for some reason, they read the book, but heaven knows why. Uh, And now, just because we were coming... Uh, we're rounding things out, but just because you are out of the corporate loop, that I mean, I mean you folks who are sitting there in your basement making money in your underwear as an entrepreneur, does not mean that you, Mr. Entrepreneur or Ms. Entrepreneur, are free from the quip monster. So for you entrepreneurs, here's a couple. Uh, number one, there's an investor born every minute. Alas, there are five fund, funding starved entrepreneurs born in that same time period. <laughs> and... As an afterthought, you know, the dance twixt investor and entrepreneur is subtle and complex with a host of others all waiting to cut in. 
So I think really it's best to line up your dance card and test your steps at home with perhaps a disinterested but insightful friend. Take their comments. A little practice. Can't wait. So, just my thoughts. And also, while we're speaking of entrepreneurs, we shall turn, of course, into the world of technology. That is, the Internet is the only marketplace in which an entrepreneur can become a billionaire from a venture for which no customer seems to be paying absolutely anything. And I've never figured this out, but daily, thousands of new enterprises soar aloft into cyberspace with no cash investment. They amalgamate, connect, link, inform, allow vast hordes to sound off, whatever they do. But somehow, uh, a few legends really do blossom into cash cows. And that that what happens that entices the rest of us your better bet is to still have a solid business plan and an attractive fulfillable a fulfillable product remember my friend you cannot fax an anvil to kansas so use the net and make make it your home but make it a sensible one <laughs> i'm carrying on here let me move on uh, this is this is so true i from every entrepreneur i've ever spoken with this i love this quip an entrepreneur is someone who believes he could be prosperous if only he had the right boss. <laughs> and I must say, as an afterthought, there are a good many reasons for stepping out and starting your own shop. However, if unhappiness at working with others or working under others is your primary reason, you may want to patch up your personal interaction issues before mantling the leadership of your own business. Just a thought. And leaving it, entrepreneurs on a high note, uh, let's do. Let me add this: No high-stakes gambler would ever back the bet placed by an entrepreneur. The former sees only the odds; the latter envisions only the possibilities. And as you may know, as an afterthought, in any given year in our nation, roughly four out of five startups will fail in their, within their first 365 days. But the good news is that entrepreneurs intentionally blind themselves to those odds, and they have they they give in to that human craving to create. And because of that, we have a fresh crop of doers and dreamers in our society, and our civilization is the greater for it. And finally. I will say that if you are an American entrepreneur in America, uh, in American business, let me say, being successful is helpful, but appearing successful is a necessity. I will leave you with that. There are many more that I'd, uh, I'd love to slather upon you, but we are running to the end of our time, so uh, l- allow me to round out today's feast. I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation. That is, who is the individual who said, show me the man who is wise enough to make a fool of himself? As a hint, this ancient Roman historian, whose name ironically means silence, was able to poke fun at the Caesars and still walk around with his own head in place. (laughs) And remember, if you know the author of this quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be and send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com to win an absolutely career-changing gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, I'd like to give you the last quip of the 102 best business quips, just as for your thought. 
never underestimate the value of a handwritten thank you note. Truly. And to you, gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed the art of the CEO as much as I have enjoyed bringing it to you and chuckled your way through it with me. And remember that you may download this on all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally, to you, who have honored us with your time, may I say, as always, it has been a privilege, and I thank you. <laughs>